I'm the liar. You're the killer. Your lies have killed more men in a day than I have in a lifetime. I've never killed anybody. Maybe I'm not the liar. Hello, and welcome to Condensed Truth, the Essential X-Files podcast. I'm your host, Shelby. And I'm Laura. And this week we have a returning guest, Brett. Hello, welcome hello. Back. Thank you. Hi, Brett. Hi. <laughs> Since you've been on last, you've watched a lot of the X-Files, right? Yes, this is my... So, since I was last on, it kind of restarted me watching the X-Files, and I reached a similar point that I did my first time trying to watch it, which is like get through about season seven or eight, and then I entirely just forget that it's there. <laughs> yes. If if I don't dedicate myself, I will like cap out of the rewatch around six or seven and just like lose <laughs> steam. And I'm like, I know it's bad now. <laughs> I don't want to follow it anymore. Yeah. So yeah, completely understandable. But this week we are talking. Season 4, Episode 7, Musings of a Cigarette-Smoking Man. This aired November 17th, 1996. It was written by Glenn Morgan and directed by James Wong, his first directing of the show. Ooh. The plot of this episode, Frohickey is convinced that he's found the truth about cigarette-smoking man and his motivations and tells, through flashbacks, Cigarette Smoking Man's shady history through the JFK and MLK assassinations. Is this true, or is this the overactive imagination of Prohickey? So, we open first with a quote from Henry IV. For nothing can seem foul to those that win. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I feel like it sets like with a quote, and you're like, okay, this is going to be a bit of a different pace episode, you know? Right. Yeah, definitely. Because this is a, an interesting way to start the episode. And Cigarette Smoking Man's in a dilapidated warehouse. And I love his engraved lighter that says, trust no one. He's so dramatic. <laughs> this this episode kind of gives you hints, this idea that, like, Cigarette Smoking Man is Mulder's father. And, like, the lighter is, they're both so dramatic. It's sort of like, it makes too much sense sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> It would be too perfect if that if it were true. <laughs> exactly. And he's setting up a listening device in a sniper. And we realize that Mulder, he's out, he's across the street from the lone gunman's hideout. And he's listening to Mulder and Scully and the lone gunman. And Frohickey is paranoid as hell. <laughs> more rightfully so than usual so. but like also rightfully so <laughs> yes yes and he's convinced someone's gonna kill him he, he's convinced cigarette smoking man's gonna kill him essentially and the Mulder line of no one would kill you Frohickey you're just a little puppy dog <laughs> he's the kind of dog that just humps legs of women though mm. you know ew <laughs> it's true <laughs> so true Shelby <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> he's, he's like, I'm not talking until we get the the countermeasure filter set up, and then cigarette smoking man just has a switch labeled like countermeasures, and he flips it, and he just has the best smirk of like, yeah, I am that bitch. <laughs> I just love that there's a countermeasure to the countermeasure, you know? <laughs> yes, yes. But we, Frohickey's like. I found out who he is and what he wants and what he wants to be. And it's like, okay, we're in for a treat. It's an all cigarette soaking man episode. And we have the credits. And then we open back to the warehouse. And Frohiki is setting the scene. He says that he appeared the day Trotsky was murdered, which I couldn't figure out. I was racking my brain if that was like when he was born because it was he said 1940 and I was like I feel like that's too young. Anyway, mm -hmm. <laughs> I love the idea of like Cigarette Smoking Man was born the day Trotsky was murdered. <laughs> <laughs> also thinking like he's only okay if that's true then like he's only like 50 
in the beginning of the X-Files and he looks like way older than that. Exactly. So I was like, yeah, I don't know about that. Yeah. Maybe though. They're kind of tracked because he's the cigarette smoking man. So he ages prematurely and all the stress. Right. Yeah. All the stress and all the cigarettes. That's true. We have the picture of young cigarette smoking man and then the current one. And it's like those, uh, Pre uh, presidency Obama and like post presidency Obama pictures <laughs> where he looks like he's thirty years older. Yeah, <laughs> and his father was an ardent communist, and he passed info to the communist about the U.S.'s involvement in World War Two or one. No, I think it's two, and he was executed as a spy. His mother died of lung cancer, and so he was a poor little orphan boy. <laughs> and he reemerged a year a year and a half after the Bay of Pigs. And then we have part one with the quote, things really did go well at Dealey Plaza. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess that's one way you could describe it. <laughs> yeah, I mean... Also, in researching this episode, I did read the entire Wikipedia page about the JFK assassination, and I, I do believe the CIA, CIA did it. <laughs> I've been converted. It's, yeah, it's too much. <laughs> I also listened to um, Blowpack. It's a podcast, and season two is all about the Cuban Missile Crisis, and it's very good, and it also had a lot about the JFK assassination, so, Yeah. It's very weird. Hmm. But we open on Fort Bragg, 10-30-1962. A young cigarette-soaking man is in his bunk reading The Manchurian Candidate. (laughs) (laughs) And we do learn here, he loves to read and he hates movies. (laughs) That's so him. Just cigarette-smoking man things. (laughs) Yeah. And, but we do meet we do see his friendship with Bill Mulder, um, and it's kind of funny because I think in a previous episode, it, it implied that like Cigarette Smoking Man and Bill Mulder worked together. It was in, I can't remember if it was Piper Maru or Apocrypha where it happened. I think it was Apocrypha. But them working together in the 40s. Yeah. <laughs> so everyone's like, it's not, it doesn't match. And it's like, well, first of all. It's not even clear if this is true. Like, right. this is Frohiki telling us this. But also, like, I don't know. Who cares? They could... It's, it's not like they met for the first time in this situation. You know what I mean? hmm And Bill Mulder tells him that his son said his first word, and that it was JFK. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just sorry. He was, he was born to be a crank, unfortunately. Just the fact that, like, Mulder's first word was JFK, like, kills me. Like, that is so funny. <laughs> It's so perfect. But Cigarette Smoking Man gets called in by the brass. And we start to learn some of Cigarette Smoking Man's current, well, his past, I guess more of his past involvement in some of the CIA operations. They reference him helping assassinate uh, Patrice Mabumba. And he was a Congolese president and he was assassinated and mentioned the Bay of Pigs. Uh, interesting fact, it's called Operation Zapata and George H.W. Bush's company was Zapata Oil. <laughs> much to think about. <laughs> much, much to think about. <laughs> and, um, and he's always, every answer, he's like, no, I was not involved. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Like a good little soldier that he is. Mm-hmm. And he's offered a cigarette by the general. And he says, no, sir, I never touch him. Because of his mother. Which is so interesting. It's such... I do like the fact that cigarettes are used as, as this, like, signifier of, like, where his mind is <laughs> throughout the episode. Uh, use, like, using it after he watches Lee Harvey Oswald get arrested. Using him quitting as this sort of, like trying to be redemptive and then using it again to like signify that he's like, wait, no, never mind. <laughs> yeah, like when he dramatically takes off the nicotine patch. Yeah. <laughs> yes. He's also just like wearing it just like on his neck, which I think is really yeah, funny. Because they're usually like on. arm patches or something. 
He needs it to like go right to his like vein. Straight to the jugular. (laughs) (laughs) But it's such a fun like way to signal to the audience of like where his mind is throughout the episode. And it's just kind of funny and it's a it's just a funny bit to me. It's it's this episode feels like it's it's trying to navigate this like trying to be a farce and also be serious in a, like a really interesting way to me. Very cold war for the general to say that communism is without a doubt the most heinous personification of evil mankind has ever confronted. <laughs> <laughs> That's just like so funny. <laughs> That's America in the cold war, baby. That's capitalism, hun. <laughs> <laughs> the fact <laughs> it's it's so their minds are so crystal clear in the fact that they're making a very direct point of like the CIA has always been anti-communist first and foremost. Period. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Even the trainees out running are like having anti-communist chants, talking right. about how they're going to murder all of these communist leaders across the world. Yeah, and like. Most of the action, I mean, almost all the actions the U.S. slash CIA took about Cuba were postured to be defensive, but were like almost entirely offensive. And so it's like, this isn't, this is national security. And to the, like, the CIA national security is Mm anti-communist, which led them very frequently and still does to ally with far right groups and like straight up nazis (laughs) (laughs) because they don't see them as the threat they're like no that's perfectly normal Mm -hmm. but this is where the cigarette smoking man gets his mission and that if he does this mission he will no longer be a member of the military and his records will be destroyed and his mission is to kill jfk the sitting president (laughs) and this is where their reasoning, which is interesting, it's definitely a reasoning people had um, in the conspiracy of the CIA doing it, is because in the Bay of Pigs invasion, JFK didn't want to use the U.S. military too much because that felt a little too, as he put it, noisy. <laughs> <laughs> and so their plan was to bomb the Cuban planes so their air force couldn't take off and fight back against the invasion they took out some of the planes but not all of them there was one plane in, or one or two planes in particular which uh funnily enough they got from the u.s <laughs> fr- uh, when they gave it to them because of the batista government mm-hmm. <laughs> and so they did one airstrike they were supposed to do two but jfk called off the second one and it was the scapegoat that the CIA and the Cuban national, like nationals and the exiles, gave for like it would have worked if he just gave if that scoundrel just did the second airstrike. And it's like mm-hmm. no, it was not a good plan to begin with. <laughs> the half of their thing was like banking on once they invade, the citizens will rise up. The citizens there would rise up and fight against them, but. All of the anti-Castro citizens had been fleeing Cuba for years before. So, like, it wasn't, there wasn't that much of a hotbed of anti-Castro people there to begin with. Anyway, but it was, like, an easy explanation (laughs) for them of, like, why it failed. And also, I think they asked Castro about it. He's like, we were going to fly, if we saw any planes coming here, we were just going to have the planes take off. And just not just sit there and be sitting ducks. Like, we move the planes. Like, I don't know what they're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that's the that's the reason the show gives of why the CIA wants to kill him. Um, it seems a bit far-fetched for me because I think the more logical reason is that JFK was leaning towards softening his stance on Cuba. He had mm-hmm. some comments he made in 1963. That implied he wanted to open conversations back up with Cuba. And I think that makes way more sense than he didn't do the second airstrike. Mm-hmm. But Cigarette Smoking Man accepts. Which is interesting because he seems to... He doesn't really say he respects JFK, but 
It doesn't seem to be that jazzed about the assignment in any way. I feel like you could have just said no, but I guess he wouldn't be where he was now if he said no. He is a soldier after all. But he meets Lee Harvey Oswald in Irving, Texas. And Oswald calls him Mr. Hunt, which is a reference to the fact that this episode is based largely on Howard Hunt, who was a CIA agent involved in Watergate and the Bay of Pigs invasion. And he also wrote like schlocky spy novels. (laughs) (laughs) What a resume. Howard Hunt is really funny because he got removed from the Bay of Pigs for being too incompetent and weird. (laughs) <laughs> and also, he lost a briefcase of secret documents of AG, agency operatives. It was never recovered. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so just like this hard, like right wing, incompetent, like b- mess. You like also, I think also was like Nixon's go to guy about, you know, finding the leaks of the White House. So he was heavily involved in uh, Watergate as well. And... His sons allege that on his deathbed, and he died in 2007, he confessed to having been involved in the JFK assassination. But some people dispute the evidence the son gave up. Um, So it's kind of unclear, but that's an interesting tidbit. (laughs) Cigarette Smoking Man is posing as a sympathetic figure to the Castro regime because (laughs) Lee Harvey Oswald. Mm Mm-hmm was allegedly sympathetic to the Castro regime. I mean, like, there's evidence, but it also seems weird, yeah. if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it could be true, but he also seems <laughs> seems like he's doing a lot. He did defect to the Soviet Union. He lived in the Soviet Union from 1959 to June 1961. So that is, it is interesting. Some people allege that he went there as a CIA plant but didn't he try getting citizenship there and he couldn't and that's why he left yeah well he 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 got he went there and he's like i want to be a citizen and he talked to some of the soviet officials and i couldn't quite remember where i heard this maybe from the blowback podcast but they were like he didn't have a good understanding of marxism so we said (laughs) no and then he like he was like, I'm so distraught. I'm going to like slit my wrist. So when like they come to get me out of the hotel room, like I'm dead or I don't know. He's very dramatic and <laughs> not well. Yeah. <laughs> so he stayed longer and I think he like was just very insistent. So they let him stay. But I think in his journal, he wrote that he was bored. And so that's why he left. But it is all just very weird. Yeah. Um. Sorry. I feel like I'm imbo dumping, but another very interesting <laughs> Thing I found out when I was like researching the JFK assassination is so right before he allegedly went from New Orleans to Houston to Mexico City to try to defect, he went to the Cuban consulate. But some people like J. Edgar Hoover himself was like, that's not him. And the descriptions don't quite match. And also an interesting thing it was is like the CIA until from there said that he spoke terrible Russian, but he lived in Russia for like a year and a half. And I'm like, why would he have terrible Russian? You know what I mean? That seems weird. That doesn't mean I know people who've lived in Russia for five years and speak horrible Russian. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> yeah, but that probably wasn't him in the in Mexico City. <laughs> Just so many weird things. His best friend was a CIA asset. Like, mm-hmm. maybe not his best friend, but he, like, he did marry a Russian woman. And so they made friends with the Russian emigres in the DFW area. And it was George de Schilt. And he, he was definitely a CIA asset. So lots of weird things about Lee Harvey Oswald. <laughs> yeah, very, very weird. <laughs> <laughs> I'm starting to think he's a little sus. <laughs> <laughs> Just now in the year 2022, Lee Harvey Oswald, a little sus. <laughs> a little sus. Yeah. Yeah. He's a little sus. <laughs> he gives. Anyway, back to the episode. <laughs> <laughs> he gives um, Cigarette Smoking Man the cigarettes. Symbolic. Mm. <laughs> That's symbolism there. 
And while Oswald's doing stuff in the book re- repository, depository, repo- no, depository. Depository. Well, <laughs> Suppository. <laughs> uh, cigarette smoke commands climbing through the, ga- the grates of the sewer. Eddie's just perched in one of those big sewers waiting for JFK to drive by. <laughs> and he kills him. R.I.P. <laughs> I know I'm however many years late, but <laughs> R.I.P. JFK. It it's very it's obviously we're not alive, not even a thought yeah. in anyone's mind. But it is such a touchstone of American history, right? It's a, it's mm-hmm. something everyone comes back to. It's so mysterious, and I feel like. It's this idea of like everything went wrong there, even though like things were wrong beforehand. But I feel like it's this very idealized, like that's when everything felt bad after. Or also that like everything would have been okay if it just hadn't have happened. I feel like it's also like the flip side Mm -hmm. of that. Like, oh, America would be fine if JFK just hadn't been assassinated. And it's like, no, (laughs) no. Right, right. It's, yeah, so very much like, yeah, mm-hmm. he. I mean, he was a, like a really smart dude, but his. I don't know. He was a dude. You know what I mean? Right. Mm-hmm. His the entire time during the Bay of Pigs, his brother Bobby Kennedy was like, "What if we just like fake an attack? <laughs> what if we just like make them act like set up this thing where like they blow up one of our ships and like we get to like USS Maine them?" <laughs> <laughs> and he was like, "No." <laughs> But Oswald goes back to his room, doesn't find the money and passports, and very dramatically declares that he doesn't want to be a patsy. <laughs> uh, we're a little past that, mm-hmm. Lee. We're a little past that. And we're kind of following the the common thread of what happened at the JFK assassination. Like, some of this is disputed, but we're kind of following the common thread. Like, he then goes on to murder this police officer, uh, J.D. Tippett. Some people dispute the fact that he possibly didn't murder him and that it was set up, or maybe even that J.D. Tippett was involved in the conspiracy in some way. I did find it interesting that David Duchovny played J.D. Tippett in the 1992 movie Ruby, though. Little hmm. connection. They should have had him play it again. I think it would have been funny. Yeah, that would have, really that would have been pretty funny, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I think David and Jillian loved this episode because they got ten days off. Yeah, they didn't have to do anything for it, really. I, I did they see that in the studio. <laughs> recorded two lines and then was like, "Peace." I did see that on the Wikipedia that especially David Duchovny was vocal that he was happy for the break. <laughs> of course, he was. Mm-hmm. Man loves to complain, and I respect that <laughs> as a fellow complainer. Yep. Oswald goes to the movie theater and gets arrested there, which is true. And also, cigarette smoking man's there. <laughs> this scene where he gets arrested to me felt very modern. Like, I don't think he would have been yelling about police brutality. Oh, absolutely not. That was yeah. so funny. <laughs> Honestly. It was a very like don't tase me bro vibe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I really like this shot. I like this directing of this episode because I really like a lot of the lighting choices in it. And mm-hmm. I really like this where he's being dragged out and then we're kind of, you know, getting closer to Cigarette Toki Man and watching him light the cigarette up. It's like this is his villain origin story. <laughs> And then we have a cut back to current day cigarette smoking man in the warehouse, also lighting up, and then cut to commercial. Part two, just down the road a ways from Graceland. This part is in black and white, and I truly don't know why. I was about to say, I I really don't understand why. Yeah. (laughs) It's really annoying, actually. (laughs) It it felt like this weird distancing vibe Mm -hmm. that it was trying to do. As if, like, we don't know that the government killed MLK, you know? It's like... Yeah, like, his family thinks that there was a conspiracy. Yeah. They absolutely don't think that James Earl Ray killed him. Yeah. (laughs) It was so weird. Yeah, like, why is this in black and white? Why is this made to feel older and more distant than 
the JFK assassination. Yeah. yeah, I wasn't sure if it was. I don't. I don't know what the reasoning for it was. I wasn't vibing with it though, which is kind of a bummer because I really like, like pretty much everything else. This part is doing. I find right. I found it really haunting. I thought it was like really moving. I thought the cinematography in this section was really good too. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. yeah, just the black and white shift was like just weird. Mm-hmm. Just like playing MLK's final speech. Um, I've been to the mountaintop mm-hmm. over these horrifying, you know, knowing what's going to happen mm-hmm. and just hearing his voice. And and using so much of MLK's speech in general, I thought was just so effective. And it and it was like really, because like the JFK assassination has been covered a lot, right? I right. think <laughs> it, it's been talked about ad nauseum. But this was just like, you know, just I don't know, kind of reflecting about how awful it was and how the government almost certainly, like I think some people right. still believe. I think it's a pretty common belief that the JFK assassination was a conspiracy, but I think the MLK one, it's like, oh, yeah, 100%. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, and I think, too, like, a, a lot of, like, the use of the speech was a lot of his sort of, like, like more communist rhetoric that, like, mm-hmm. our sort of modern-day society likes to kind of gloss over when it comes to MLK mm-hmm. was the fact that he was, like, anti-capitalist, and so it's kind of the focus on, like, the pro-communism beliefs and aspects that he held i think is also really interesting in this episode because like yeah that Mm -hmm. is why he was killed (laughs) yeah like this opening with it's because he was anti-capitalist yeah a thousand percent and this opening with cigarette talking man writing while this mlk Mm -hmm. speech is on you know writing his his stupid little book uh, (laughs) jack (laughs) jack call quick a second take a second chance or whatever the hell it's called (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I don't respect his his novel uh, aspirations at all, but I think it's such a funny characteristic. (laughs) Wait, I caught this little Easter egg with it, though. Did y'all notice the name that he uses with the publisher? Uh, His nom de plume being Raoul Bloodworth? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, James Earl Ray said that it wasn't him. It was some guy named Raoul in Quebec that uh, organized it. (laughs) Mm, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a great little detail. <laughs> that is a great one. And he he says the line that comes back around, I can kill you whenever I please, but not today. <laughs> uh, take a chance, a Jack Colquitt's adventure. I wrote it down. <laughs> I do remember that like, he, he called it an adventure. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Love it, love it. <laughs> and... He's writing his book, and then as as you mentioned, as soon as MLK starts talking about Marxism and communism, mm-hmm. and he talks about the revolutionary spirit, and he kind of says, you know, we started this revolutionary spirit, and we haven't achieved democracy, and so other people are looking to Marxism and communism as maybe the answer to continue that res- revolutionary spirit. Mm-hmm. And Cigarette Smoking Man's very, like, don't say that. <laughs> like, I love that the episode made that connection. Like, <laughs> this this idea that MLK, like, not that he wasn't hated for saying civil rights stuff. He obviously was. Right. But this very clear, like, there's a line you don't, you didn't cross in the 60s. Mm-hmm. And he crossed it. And, like, that cost him his life. And we have a scene of him in the smoky back rooms where things are decided. Which I, I forgot to mention this earlier, but this the scene with the general telling him that he needed to kill JFK and his cigarette smoke just covering his face. I love mm-hmm. that detail. Like <laughs> just a very like, you know, the smoky back rooms where these decisions get made vibe was like mm-hmm. choice. <laughs> <laughs> and we get that again, but cigarette smoking man is the one smoking at this point. Mm-hmm. And he has a totally different vibe from the guy even just one part ago <laughs> changed a lot in the five years <laughs> yeah since his last assassination of a u.s citizen and his why didn't you know this was coming edgar <laughs> <laughs> and cigarette smoking man really makes like 
they're talking about MLK and he says, you know, one of them says like, oh, like black people are trying to rise up against white people and start an army or some stupid goofy stuff. And he's just like, why wouldn't they? (laughs) (laughs) Points were made. He's like, wouldn't point. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You know, he is not a good ally. I would not call him an ally. No. (laughs) But he does have some understanding of like what is actually going on in this situation. (laughs) (laughs) Mm -hmm. His like super self-righteous i have too much respect for the man i'll pull the trigger it's like oh, give me a break <laughs> that oh was just God. so over the, i was just yeah i was like so apparently you have to kill him because you respect him so much like what that doesn't make this sense this is like war- warrior mentality yeah i'm like oh and he mentions the fbi's silly little plan to try to get mlk to commit suicide and they suggest making a sex tape. They're trying to figure out how to fix this. And the sex tape bit. The CIA actually did that with the Indonesian president, uh, Sukarno. <laughs> oh, my God. Yikes. Yeah, they. it was kind of funny because he, he, like, had a, even was just polyamorous, essentially. And so they thought they could, like, blackmail him with that. And everybody in Indonesia was like, no, we know. Like, we don't care. Like, this is, like, a Western hangup that y'all have. <laughs> uh, so they, like, made this stupid sex tape they never released. <laughs> as soon as Cigarette Smoking Man makes it clear that he's talking about a very permanent solution to this, uh, J. Edgar Hoover is like, I gotta go. And he's like, you're not going anywhere. You're going to listen to, like, what I have to say. You're not going to plausible deniability your way out of this, J. Edgar Hoover. <laughs> yeah. And we have, we're in Memphis, and MLK's last speech was in support of striking black sanitation workers. So he's outside the church he's at, and he looks at, I guess he stole Bill Mulder's picture of his, of Fox Mulder and his mom. Because that's that picture. Yikes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I guess we're doing this. <laughs> and he looks at it very mournfully. You know, you don't have to do things you're going to regret. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. So easy not to. Like, you came up with this plan. Like, <laughs> I would just simply not execute Martin Luther King Jr. <laughs> I'm just different, I guess. Yeah. I'm just built different. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like throughout these last couple scenes, it's playing his I've seen them I've been to the mountaintop speech. And it just it surprises me so much that MLK was was assassinated when he was 39. Like mm-hmm. that's so young. Mm-hmm. Like he did so much before he even turned 40. It's unreal. I know. And we have a quick little scene with James Earl Ray, which they didn't give as much screen time as like they did with Oswald. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he was just like, go watch a movie, do something else. I'm busy. Yeah. <laughs> just just kicking James Earl Ray out. And he kills King. And it's and he 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 shoots him. And then we have the scene, the very iconic picture of on the balcony of the Lorraine Motel, and all of King's associates are pointing towards where the the shot was fired, and and we see the casket, and just like very haunting. It was very mm-hmm. effective, I feel. Mm-hmm. And then part three, the most wonderful time of the year. <laughs> we have current day cigarette smoking man. Well, not current current, current day, ish. but. <laughs> it's William B. Davis now. <laughs> it's December 24th, 1991. And he's dictating instructions. And this this is such a fun scene because it's like everything before it was serious and and based on like actual historical facts for the most part, some fudge details. And it feeds on the fact that most Americans do believe that those were conspiracy is most likely committed by the government Mm -hmm. and i and like there is something shady going on like i don't think that's that wild or out there to say and then segment like segueing that to taking that to the fullest extreme 
of these men in this room <laughs> deciding like Oscar nominations mm-hmm. and who is going to the Super Bowl <laughs> and just like taking it to this like farcical, mm-hmm. comically goofy extreme is just so funny to me. <laughs> I think it's really ingenious. We get to see him as a boss. <laughs> <laughs> I also like how later he calls the a box of chocolates, a cheap, perfunctory gift when he got them all the same tie. The same tie, not even <laughs> different ties. <laughs> he so awkwardly <laughs> handed them out, too. He was like, oh, let me reopen my briefcase and take out these four identical packages. Here you go. Here you go. Here you go. Here yeah, you no go. way he even wrapped that himself. He went to the department store and they're like, you want us to wrap this for you? And he said, yes, absolutely. Do I look like I wrap presents? Do you do you care about a, a a paper, sir? Do you want them to be different? Nope, just make them all the same. Yeah, the line that gets cited a lot because it's still true is the Bills line, where he says, "As long as I'm alive, I never want to see the Bills win the Super Bowl." So the Bills went to the Super Bowl four years straight from 1991 to 1994, lost every single time. Wow. And, like, that's just unbelievably unlucky. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, going to the Super Bowl four straight years in a row, like, that's a, an achievement. Nobody else has done that, I don't think. Losing every single time, just unbelievably unlucky. You kind of have to believe it's a conspiracy. So. Right. Like, unbelievably <laughs> lucky and then unlucky. Yes. Imagine yes, like, betting a bunch of money on them to like win the Super Bowl like every time. <laughs> yeah. And you know those people have they go crazy oh, for the bills up there. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> There's a lot of Buffalo Pride. And so that line just cracks me up. And they mentioned the spooky kid in the basement who reopened the X Files. And he said, <laughs> Oh, he's my problem. <laughs> oh boy, isn't he? <laughs> Yep. (laughs) And then he sees in the little, I don't even know what kind of system that was, some kind of ancient technology where he just like reads out like on like a very small display text of like news, I guess. And it says that Gorbachev resigned. And it's just like, no more enemies left kind of like moment. Yeah. And his cronies even invite him to spend Christmas with them and their families. And he's like, oh, I have to see some family. And then, like, lurks outside Mulder's office. It's just like, okay, we're really doing this, aren't we? Yeah, they're, like, not going subtle with it anymore. His response was so awkward. Like, I gotta go see some, uh, family. (laughs) Family? Just say I'm busy. (laughs) Like. (laughs) Exactly. I had to go write my novel. Yeah. Gotta go chain smoke and sit at my typewriter. Well, I guess he's not chain smoking <laughs> at this point, but yeah, he's he's on the patch. Gotta go slap on another nicotine patch to my other jugular, and then <laughs> <laughs> and go write my shitty novel. Yeah, but while he's doing that, he gets a call from Deep Throat, and they found an EBE, which Deep Throat talked about this in the episode EBE. Mm-hmm. about how he's like one of a few people that have actually killed an alien so we get that scene and <laughs> cigarette smoking man gets a bit weepy about no one knowing what he's done for the country <laughs> and it's like like you get the sense that that's his, his books are him trying to like convey in some way that like he is he's important and <laughs> what did you think like what's going to happen when he became a secret assassin for the CIA, like that they would just like let you be known. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I I get this, like looking back on his life and making choices and getting Mm -hmm. weepy about it. And it's also very funny that he has all this power to decide like who goes to the Super Bowl and who wins Oscars and he still can't get a stupid book published. (laughs) (laughs) It's very midlife sad like midlife crisis sad middle-aged man vibes yes yes i love it (laughs) Mm -hmm. so (laughs) the scene of deep throat being like okay cigarette smoking man why don't you go kill that alien he's like i've never (laughs) killed anyone in my life (laughs) (laughs) 
And, <laughs> and so it is kind of funny because it's like, like, is this cigarette smoking man's re- recollection? Are we still having Frohickey's opinion? Like, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Is is this supposed to refute what Frohickey said? But he says, let's flip for it. And I'm pretty sure that was a rigged coin. It had oh, to be a rigged absolutely. coin. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He, he said head's a little too sure, you know? Mm-hmm. And so Deep Throat gets stuck with the responsibility of killing an alien. And right as he does... Like, while he's doing that, he tears off the nicotine patch, like, <laughs> lights up. He's That's given so up. so dangerous. He's, <laughs> he's going to have a heart attack. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, this man can't die. <laughs> and then we have part four, The X-Files. And it's back where we all started. We have the thesis, Scully's thesis. I love it. Very cute. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, we get the pilot scene again mm-hmm. uh, with her being called into Blevins' office and Cigarette Smoking Man being there. Little baby Jillian. Yes. And then we have him eavesdropping over the fateful uh, basement meeting. <laughs> mm-hmm. And he seems to be smiling. He's like, okay. Setting my my son up with a girlfriend, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Yikes! Ooh. There's there's no limit to his power. He can do anything. <laughs> mm-hmm. But he can't get a book published. He cannot get his book published. <laughs> so he finally finds out a couple scenes later that somebody wants to publish his book, and he is giddy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He does not know how he, to negotiate a book deal. No, he's just like, they offer, it's like, I don't need money. Just, you know, yeah. whatever the rate is, give it to me. It's fine. And I, the, the line, the book, the book dealer says like, you'll have to relinquish some control. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he can't. He can't. He physically can't. Yeah. Just, and then he gets mad whenever they, he's just like, no, that's fine. And then like, he gets mad whenever they change the ending. Like, what did you think relinquishing control was going to mean? He doesn't realize he's a control freak. He, you know? yeah, he really does not know how to negotiate a book deal. <laughs> <laughs> and he's so excited about his book deal. He really sees this as a career changer. He types up his reg- resignation letter. He's like, okay. We're good. Uh, this is my new my new chapter. He's on cloud nine. He's yeah. He's ecstatic, and he goes to buy the magazine it's published in, Romana Clef. And when he's at the magazine stand, <laughs> one of the magazines has the line, "Where the hell is Darren Morgan?" <laughs> <laughs> he hasn't written for this season, which he won't. We unfortunately do not get another Darren Morgan pinned episode until the revival so it's just a funny little joke his Mm -hmm. brother teasing him i guess Mm -hmm. (laughs) and he's asking for it and it's like one of those magazines that gets wrapped in the brown paper sack Mm -hmm. (laughs) just like does not get put on the shelf and it's just kind of like trashy you know hustlers type magazine it reminds me of whenever people were like, I read Playboy for the articles, like whenever yeah. Playboy would like actually publish some some like, you know, really famous authors like Kurt Vonnegut and stuff. Um, mm-hmm. but also just, you know, have boobs. Cigarette smoking man. Yeah. <laughs> and he yeah, like you said, he he's they changed his ending and he's mm-hmm. dejected and pissed <laughs> off and the guy even Razzes him about the magazine. He's like, I don't know who reads that. Why would you read that? <laughs> and so he buys the magazine and he buys some more lease. Mm. He's given up his hopes about becoming a writer. Mm-hmm. Seriously, how does this man not have enough money to just like make a publishing company? <laughs> I feel like if he has all of the power to like rig the Super Bowl, he has the power to like get his shitty book published. You know, it's like the publishing <laughs> yes. industry isn't different than like any other type of like media related industry. Like it's all about just like nepotism and connections. So like I feel like he could do that, you know? Yeah. Well, I'm wondering is how much he gets paid at like for what he currently does, because that they offer him like they'll give you twenty five hundred dollars for this, and then ten percent of right. sales. He's like, great. 
I'm going to quit my career of several decades <laughs> That's like no money. at the highest yeah. level of government because <laughs> this this is it. <laughs> yes. That's like no money. Yeah. 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 Like if he has that kind of money where like he doesn't need to worry about it. It's like, why are you doing this if it makes yeah. you unhappy? Like everything about him is just so confounding and interesting, though, because I don't think it's like illogical that he has this kind of behavior, but. But it is kind of confounding as, like, a person that, like, if I didn't have to work, I wouldn't. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and he just, so much of this episode kind of portrays him like he's stuck in his role. But he, but also our understanding of, like, his power also makes us think that he isn't. And I think that's an interesting way to play it. Like, he's convinced himself that he's stuck in what he's doing. Mm -hmm. And because of that, he is. Yeah, when all it takes is a two-sentence resignation letter, and then he's out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And he's sitting on the bench, and there's a, a homeless man with, uh, he finds a box of chocolates in the trash. <laughs> I guess Forrest Gump just came out. <laughs> yeah, two, two years before this episode, and I assure you they were playing it relentlessly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so he's like, life is like a box of chocolates, a cheap, perf thoughtless, perfunctory gift that nobody ever asked for. <laughs> like the ties I gave my assistants. <laughs> mm -hmm. At least you can eat chocolate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So he has this whole dramatic spiel about how it's like a bad gift and yada, yada, yada. It's, it's very funny and like... <laughs> It, it doesn't feel like it's being played for laughs, but also it very much feels like it's being played for laughs. <laughs>, <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like, I can totally be see people be like, yeah, he's right. <laughs> so true, bestie. So true. <laughs> <laughs> Go off, King. <laughs> and then we come back to Frohickey and we realize that... He got this entire story from that article <laughs> from Monoclept, which he, of course, subscribes to. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Of course, like, Frohickey is one of the few people that subscribes to that magazine. And I just adore the fact that he read it and he just, his mind went to overdrive. He's like, no, that's cigarette smoking, man. Absolutely. <laughs> and, but then it does kind of have this, like, he is sitting there surveilling him, so it does feel like there is an element of truth that, like, the story was written by him. Because mm -hmm. why would he just mess with somebody over a story he didn't even write? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So Frohucky walks out the door and CSM cocks the rifle and says the earlier line, "I can kill you whenever I please, but not today." <laughs> so corny. and what I recently found out, I didn't know this. Glenn did want to kill Frohickey. <laughs> he had to be talked out of it. <laughs> I, I remember that. I like read that in the Wikipedia and I was like, I'm I mean, I'm with everyone else. Like, how dare you? <laughs> exactly. Like, no, like, of course they said no. no. They're not gonna let this episode, I feel like, take like that big of a plot turning point, you know? Like killing Frohickey <laughs> exactly. with, in this episode, like, no. And it kind of goes back to what we talked about last time, where, like, they really just came back to the show and were like, we're going to go crazy. Mm -hmm. Like, we're just going to, like, write what we want. And to, like, write this episode and, like, try to kill Frohickey is just the, the gall. Yeah, the gall. <laughs> for real. Uh, the, uh, about him wanting to kill Frohickey. This idea was not well received by the executive staff, and Morgan got called into the carpet. Ken Horton was on my left. Chris was on my right. And they were very clear. You can't kill Frohickey. Morgan remembers. It was a big runaround and we got into an argument. <laughs> <laughs> and interestingly enough, Bill Davis did not like this episode. Mm -hmm. Will William Davis didn't like this episode very much. And uh, Morgan also says, Bill Davis just hated that show. Morgan <laughs> says ruefully. He was just killing Jim, James Wong. And it was his first time directing <laughs> It was bizarre in many ways because the writer and director hadn't been following the series, David Count Davis counters. So there were a lot of things in there that weren't true or weren't consistent with what had gone on before. I know Chris tried to patch it together. We didn't know anything about Cigarette Smoking Man before this. Like, mm -hmm. 
how is this inconsistent with the rest of the show? I it's, just don't understand his argument there. It's only really inconsistent because of the like having them worked together like in the government in the forties, but like I think he just didn't like the way that cigarette smoking man was just like a sad old man in it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's but it's like that's the that's what's so fun about the episode that like it it runs so counter to this idea of this big bad villain that we've mm-hmm. seen. But but at the same time, it's mocking that idea, too. Like, it's like this, you know, anti-hero, but also kind of mocking the idea of him being an anti-hero, which mm-hmm. is very mm-hmm. fun. It's it's a great episode. Mm-hmm. I loved it. Yeah, I had fun. <laughs> okay. And now on to our segments. Our segments are a little weird because Mulder <laughs> and Scully were, like, not in it at all. Yeah. And so the Mulder radio... Agent Mulder... Shut up, Mulder. Damn it, Mulder! Mulder! I guess we could just give our default one, you know? His two, like, two or three lines that he said, I'm, I would say that he he was, like, in a, a three. Like, he wasn't in the episode, and I don't find him annoying. <laughs> but if y'all don't want to give him a rating, feel free to skip. But, Laura. I mean, yeah, I was going to give him a five, which is my lowest rating, because, like, he's not in the episode, and then, A, like, I do enjoy the little, like like um like old footage of the of the pilot like of his little quips whenever Mm -hmm. (laughs) fbi is most unwanted (laughs) yes i really enjoyed that so yeah he gets a five okay brett i i think i agree with laura like i enjoy him a little bit but also he's just not he's just not around he's not he can't get on my nerves (laughs) because there's not enough time for it right exactly (laughs) so you give him a five yes okay so uh this must be the enigmatic agent scully sassiest scully moment which is just (laughs) going to be repurposed to the sassiest moment of the episode (laughs) right because uh she doesn't really even say anything sassy in it i even like went back and like to all of her her audio yeah and it was just like oh that's not even really usable yeah Um, for me, it's going to be whenever Frohickey says, someone says Frohickey's name on, like, while there's a hot mic. And he says, don't use my name. Now I'll have to kill you. And you know what? Based. He's right. Like, don't use names. Like, exactly. <laughs> y'all are the lone gunman. You should know better than this. I think it was Byers, too, which is funnier because mm-hmm. I feel like he's the, the sweetest of the lone yeah. gunmen, the one in the suit. Yeah, it was Byers. Um, and then he just goes on. They're like, we swept the room. And he's like, that piece of equipment is a piece of shit. Like, no, <laughs> I, love, I just I love it. Exactly. Brett. I think mine is the one where we have Deep Throat and the Cigarette Smoking Man, and they're debating on who's going to kill the alien, and the Cigarette Smoking Man goes, I have never killed anyone before. Like, <laughs> we know. We know. We just watched an episode about this. We just watched an episode about you killing two people, at least two people in the 60s. Yeah. Yes. Hit him lying. Mm-hmm. That, that pairs well with mine, because mine is when Deep Throat says, after he says that, um... Maybe I'm not the liar. Because <laughs> he does a great line reading on that one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do like Deep Throat's whole thing of like, I'm the liar and you're the killer. And then he's like, well, maybe I'm not the liar. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> choice. And choice then, moment. Welcome. You've got mail. 90th moment. Brett. I think it has to be when Cigarette Spooky Man goes to the newsstand and one, there are newsstands. Two, there's a there's a magazine like uh, Romana Clef. Three, newsstands are selling cigarettes. Um, like it really is just like plopped in there. Like that's so nineties. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Laura, um, mine is Gorbachev resigning. Um, very nineties. <laughs> Can't get more nineties than that. Exactly. I do have a runner-up, and it's Saddam Hussein calling on line two. Um, oh, yeah. But yeah, Gorbachev resigning takes the cake for me. Yeah, Just that was perfect. so funny. Minus the Buffalo Bill Super Bowl mention. Oh my god! <laughs> they haven't been back since. I knew it was going to be that. I was like, as soon as that was mentioned, I'm like, Shelby has stuff to say on this. I'm sure. <laughs> I had, yeah, I had to. But that was the episode, and I chose it because it's great. It's. It's really fun when you have a... Because, sh- like, this is something I, f- I feel like doesn't 
happen as much in like current TV just the nature of how it's set up of like having an episode where it's all about one character that's like kind of sidelined mm-hmm. like I know the coach beard one from Ted Lasso and people with no taste hate that one it's a great episode <laughs> um, those pants but like yes <laughs> but this is like that but like just having a whole episode about cigarette sucking man the meta nature of like it being serious and just farcical at the same time just just great great vibes and a really interesting story and a really I feel like probably the most politically coherent episode of the (laughs) (laughs) X-Files in some regards I feel like it really has a good grasp on like conspiracies and I think it does have this like idea like playing into the fact that the 90s were a boon for conspiracies too um this idea that one man controls so much of our life <laughs> and like what happens and and pitting that in like things big monumental history changing moments like JFK and MLK being assassinated down to like the Oscar nominations <laughs> and like uh the he even mentions like getting the Rodney King um Jury, uh, a case moved to Simi Valley. Mm-hmm. Just like things that, like <laughs> bits of history that, in hindsight, are historical. But at the moment, I can't imagine like being made a huge deal of. If that makes sense, mm-hmm. not understanding that like the historical role it plays in the future. But this this episode deciding that like no, cigarette smoking man is there the entire time. Like. And just doing that and then just being like, see, this is what y'all sound like. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, so I absolutely love this episode. It's great. Mm -hmm. Did did y'all have anything to add? Um, Not really. I I really liked it. I thought it was enjoyable. I think it's a fun sort of departure from a typical X-Files episode. And I like, yeah, I like what you mentioned earlier, like TV having this time to kind of do sort of deeper episodes on more random side characters i like that um not that he's random but you know it's not Mulder mm-hmm. and it's not scully um yeah i enjoyed it a lot actually mm-hmm. yeah i also enjoyed it um i think last time after i was on the podcast and i started rewatching the x-files i remember texting you shelby about this episode when i got to it because it's so different from what we normally get um it also like just mm-hmm. so interesting and it's like i don't know it it taps into the conspiracy theories that, like, are, I guess, more enmeshed. Like, it could, I, he could have easily also included something about the moon landing in this episode, because it's like, everyone yeah. knows that the conspiracy theories about JFK and MLK, um, but as opposed to the more kind of outlandish ones that pop up at other points, where it's like, it's just, it's just fun. And I love that. I love the cigarette smoking man yeah. for it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I I love the huge swing of, like, over-explaining a villain, too. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Trying to make him sympathetic, but also, but just ended up making him looking kind of pathetic. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. absolutely, yeah. Like, oh, he's dangerous, but he's also just a sad old man. Yeah, failed yes. writer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, who hasn't written it? I mean, I haven't, but, like, just failed writer is just such a funny trope. Yeah. <laughs> he just wants to be the next Tom Clancy, and he can't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that's the episode. And if you'd like to follow us on Twitter, we are condensedtruth at twitter.com. On Twitter, whatever. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> if you would like to email us, we are condensedtruthpod at gmail.com. And next time, Laura and I will be back talking season four, episode eight and nine, Tunguska and Terma. Back to the mythology. Let's see if it fares better this time than it did the last couple times. (laughs) I guess this is technically a mythology episode, um, too. But the standalone ones are good, you know, non-season ending Mm -hmm standalone ones yeah it's the season ending ones that get me i think (laughs) yeah but thank you so much to brett for coming back on we'll have to have you back on again yeah thank you all it was fun 
Uh, and everyone have a nice week. Bye. Bye. Bye.